evening, everybody. I, I thought I thought we were going to read a letter, but <clears throat> anyhow, I <clears throat> I got home a little early tonight, so I did a walk up around the the gravel pit, which is a, quite a few steps farther than what I usually get. But uh, <clears throat> I read Jeremiah 15 on the way out there, and then I thought about it on the way back. <clears throat> That's that's quite a book full, quite a, quite a chapter of a book. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I thought about, you know, it was Jeremiah coming into captivity and his thoughts and his entreating in, in the Lord. And, uh, you know, I just think about the, just the condition of the, of the country or the condition of the world. It just seems to be just in an increasing spiral spin in the wrong direction, which nobody can really put their thumb on which way it's gone. Right. And, and uh, you know, I, I think of, I thought about myself, the, the only, I, you know, maybe in the, maybe in the 60s when Khrushchev was setting up a, a nuclear base in Cuba or trying to, and, and, and Kennedy sent the bombers down to wipe out Cuba and Russia down there, whatever they were, they turned around and took their stuff home real quick. I mean, that was probably the, you know, when you think about a threat that, that I've seen, but uh, <clears throat> it, has an, it has an incredible verse, and I'm sure you've all I'm sure you've all, all remember hearing it. <clears throat> but it's in 16. I'll, I'll start there. Uh, <clears throat> and thy words were frowned, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me as joy and rejoicing in mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O, o Lord God of hosts. <clears throat> and I sit not in the assembly with the mockers, nor rejoice. And I sit not among, and I sit alone because of thine hand, for thou hast filled me with indignation. Anyhow, he, he's, <clears throat> he, he's talking about what all he went through. And God was... God was judging the country just because of their, their coldness, lack of interest, just being just totally engulfed with everything else around them. And uh, what it took, the separation it took from him, and he's, he's, he's entreating the Lord that way. And, uh, you know, it, it, it does really get down to To a, to a wall, which is, you know, God has, God has a wall there. <clears throat> and, and part of that wall is dying to self every day. It's, it's putting a forearm towards the things that want to take you captive. Because they're, they're coming at full board like, like never before. <clears throat> and, and that's what, that's what John 
God was judging with this captivity. And uh, <clears throat> anyhow, it did. God did make a promise to him that he would, he would keep him separate, that he would guard him, that he would watch over him, that nothing would be falling during this time. <clears throat> and, it, and, it, and it takes that kind of dying, that kind of a, a forearm out there to make the place that God's looking for us to have. And I'm, you know, it's, it's uh, however you want to take it, but it does, it takes, it takes an in, in intensity on our behalf, on our behalf to make the line that God has called us to walk in. So I'll encourage each of you to do, to do due diligence that way. God does have a place of him watching over those that do due diligence towards him. So, amen. The elders wanted me to read this letter that's a response to this calling from Dominic. And it was um, to Karen Greenleaf. Here's... The letter short. It was on Facebook? How many saw it? Oh, most of you have. Okay. Well, how many did not see the letter? Okay. I recently visited Whitestone for the graduation of my former classmates, Justin Greenleaf and Kristen Joy Miller. And I don't have all the right words to describe the weekend in its entirety. To begin, I'm thoroughly proud of my classmates and who they have become as young adults. I am so grateful that I got to grow up alongside you two. I'm also overwhelmed by the incredible outreach of love that was extended to me and my good friend Asa. He was thoroughly welcomed and enjoyed every minute of his stay, from spending the night at Reb Ferguson's cabin <laughs> to taking a cold plunge in the gravel pit at midnight. He mentioned to me how incredible it was that such a place exists, which is true. It is a place and a family I'm thankful to have spent the majority of my life in. To all who contributed to the gifts I've received, thank you. Gifts do not compare to the continual gift of love I'm welcomed with each time I visit, but they do represent that love in a form that I carry with me physically, a strong and cherished reminder I would also like to give thanks to all of those who taught me in my years of schooling there. Your influence in my life has helped form whom I am today. I am forever grateful for each one of you. I look forward to my next visit, as does Asa. We will post a letter. Beautiful.
just believe that the Spirit of God is not blowing any less than He ever has. I believe the, the wind now is, is much more pinpointed and um, targeted for every single one of us. And um, that's wind that's blowing on the inside to really narrow in with every single one of us what God really has been always after from the beginning. And, um, but now we're coming into, we're awakened in a way I think that is very good and I think the word that we've been hearing is reflective of that. Um, where it focuses in where God is very much interested in us actually um, making contact with Him on a regular basis. A genuine contact of, with the Spirit of God on a regular basis. And um, that we understand is, in, I mean in a real way, in a genuine way, in a way that affects my life. And um, I can't get away from the scripture that Paul uses in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And, and I believe um, God is really interested. These years on this earth, of, as you get older, uh, are very short. They seem short as you get older and you, you don't... You can't imagine how quickly things have gone by. And, you know, I, I noticed it at the graduation and, and, the, and the performance. Um, the, and I was teasing Kristen because Monday morning she was in the kitchen working away with the rest. And I said, you know, Kristen, over the weekend you were really special. But now you're not. She's special, too, anyway, but um, how quickly things go by and all the effort that went into the, the great performance and all the rehearsals and all the writing and all this blood and sweat and everything went in and, I, and I, after the performance, the next thing you know, the, the backdrop is gone, you know. And, and, and that's similar to how life is, except that the difference would be for us is that these years are important because it's a trial of our faith that we are walking through while on this earth. And, and God is proving and bringing forth uh, His nature in us in the context of our life. And so it's the life that we now live that we're concerned with. Um, and there is one, there's a promise of one to come. But the life I now live must have efficacy because of contact, genuine contact with the Spirit of God. And um, in second, we don't have to turn here. I hope not to turn to a lot of scriptures. And I'll, I want to keep this as tight as I can. But it says, what manner of persons are you to be when you see, uh, I'm going to summarize, the whole world being turned upside down. Um, because it's very easy to get distracted with things in life that aren't really the, the true central battle and issue that you and I should be about. And the true central battle and issue should be 
that we respond to uh, the call of God on our lives. That is the central spirit's point of what should be going on in our lives. And um, because the Bible has all these incredible things um, that it says, that, that God pronounces. Um, and <clears throat> he says um, in Colossians 1.12, he has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That M-E-E-T means he's enabled, he's qualified, he's given us sufficiency to, to be partakers or participators in the inheritance of God. The same inheritance that he talked to Abraham about, he has made us, made us meet, M-E-E-T, enabled us to be participators in that inheritance. Um, it's partakers, participators. It says in 2 Peter 1, 4, uh, we're given great and precious promises uh, that by these, by the declaration of the Spirit of God, what He proclaimed, what He promised, what He swore an oath about, uh, that by that very fact of God uprooting you and the wind of the Spirit blowing in your sails and blowing even today, now, inside of you to bring you into the position that, that God has called you. It says you are called because of these great and precious promises that you would be participators, partakers, those are interchangeable there, um, with the divine nature. Now, that didn't move you quite like I was thinking it might because that's quite a, that's quite a declaration that you and I are called to be participators with a whole new nature that is not of this earth. It's a divine nature. And it's not something that's far off that uh, I know we're still walking on this earth. I know we are still in our human form. I know we still have a soul that we deal with, but God has enabled us to be participators with this divine nature. And, and, and there is a great deal of difference between participation and observation. And many of us spend, still spend too much time, and I don't want to say many of us, I know I still spend too much time on the observation deck of my opinion. I did, I did a little coaching when I was, I was younger, and I was a much better coach than a, than a participant on the field. And I don't mean you don't need coaches, and, and you know, there's great coaches that have steered teams and give input and all that. But the guys that have to ex ex execute uh, what is coached are on the field. And I was much better on the sideline, running up and down, making observations and yelling at them. Uh, and, and maybe I said this before, they made a rule uh, for the coaches, all the coaches, that they could have to stay on their half of the field. There was only one coach that didn't. They could have just come and talked to me. I just would get excited. And you know, you, you look at, if you ever watch a football game, and you know, it's hard to watch a whole one, it's very long, but still, if you ever watch, they pan the, st the stadium, and you see these people that act as though they are participants. Right? They, have you seen that? They paint their bodies. You know, it's, it's 35, 40 degrees in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And, and these gentlemen, um, they have some ample insul insulation, so it's, it helps. But they have no shirts and they're painted green and, you know, and, I, and there's some fervor 
and a sense of participation when they never even step on the field. And the point would be is that you and I are missing out on what God intended for us if we stay on the observation deck of what's going on. It's a question in our own analysis or our own opinion on something and, and all of us weigh, all of us have these opinions that are weighed in and I think the, the greatest thing that happens in this place is is when and, I, and I, it's uncomfortable but the greatest thing is when when iron is sharpening iron when there's there's a there's dialogues and there's exchanges and there's things that we don't like and this but but that you stay in there long enough for the spirit to check you to to make you see that above my opinions that are on a sideline my engagement with my brother is the litmus test of whether or not in fact God the spirit of God is working in me because this Walking together works only because the Spirit of God is working with you, only because you and I are touched by the influence of grace, that that's how we walk together. Not because of compatibility, and, and, we, and we don't quit because of incompatibility, and irreconcilable, different, irreconcilable differences. And above all that stuff is the love of God that's supposed to be shed abroad on our hearts by the Holy Ghost, that's how we walk together. That, it's a unity of the Spirit. It's a oneness that comes only by the Spirit of God. That is, that is just a litmus test. It, it doesn't come before contact with the Spirit of God. If you're open to the Spirit of God, you'll see the need. Uh, if we read through the Bible at least and read the Bible stories and look what Father God Himself took His children through with the appearance of something that's unfair or unjust or, or difficult or any of those things, if we look at those things plainly, shouldn't we then uh, maybe fast forward to our own lives and say, oh God, help me not to complain about what's going on in my life right now, but I need a greater impact of your grace. Yes. I need a greater impact uh, of my participation with you. And... This is a wretched place if you're not participating with the Spirit of God. And I, I appreciate Dominic's letter. I read it. I, someone read it to me. It was on Facebook. My wife read it to me or one of the girls. I don't know. And I was moved by that. And I said, oh God, I know one thing. It was a reflection of Dominic. And, and uh, also it was an encouragement. The reason you say that, the reason you look at it, okay, I don't want to sing to you tonight, but there is a song, How Beautiful is the Body of Christ. Do you remember that sister that came? What was her name? Kathy Pashigan? Look at that. Not so old after all. And she walked all through here, and, and she was saying how beautiful is the body of Christ, and she had a good voice, and she was looking at people's faces. But can I tell you something? When you live in a place, that isn't always the first song that comes to mind. You know what I mean? You've got to find that song. You've got to be touched by the spirit of grace. Hey, Tommy and Tina are here. Does everybody know that? Yes. I'm sorry. 
I, I should have been quiet and just waved. <laughs> I, I think I used the bathroom or something. I don't know. Um, Unless you and I are impacted by the Spirit of God, unless there's an increase of participation in the life I now live with Him, then I don't, I don't see what's here in the right way. Oh, I see what's here. I'll tell you. Let's just face it. Don't you like it when someone says, well, let's just face it. You know what's next? You know what you're going to face? Utter destruction and disaster. That's what you're going to face. It is not revelatory to say the body isn't what it should be. It is not. I love that line when Jesus is talking to those folks. Said, what did you go out to see? Talking about John the Baptist. And I wondered that about ours. What did you go out to see? And I tell you about that brother years ago that was so upset with the body. This was back when I was 19 or something. And, and I was doing a lot of counseling. Can you even imagine that? Oh, I still cringe about that. I just had so much more wisdom back then. I just had, it was like a fount. A fount of wisdom. Um, and uh, he's leaving the fellowship because this place has no love. This place isn't what it's supposed to be. That's why. I said, well, God's working with us. I mean, he's dealing with us. I mean, and, and we're not what we're going to be. But, you know, we're in process. I don't know, something like, something like that. It was more eloquent back then. Not as eloquent now. So, but um, he said, well, I'll come back when it's perfect. <laughs> and so I left my spiritual fount of wisdom and just slipped in my sarcastic comment, which I was always readily available with one of those two, <laughs> and better at those. Um, but I said, well, you won't fit in. <laughs> I was dead serious. Because I know that's true of this guy. If you don't get off the sidelines, you won't fit in. And the field is messy. And um, don't you lo I love the pictures of the community from the air. <laughs> Oh my God, where is that? I would love to live there. Look at the neat little roof. I don't mean God didn't bring us to a beautiful place. This is, no, this is not an affront to God. It's just, you need to be touched with the Spirit of God if you're going to see things rightly. And um, Jesus got in trouble because he was fully participating in his calling. And it, you know, it, was, it, it included being crucified. It included l losing his life. Um, and you know, if you're gonna love this life, if you love your life in this world, it says you're an enemy of God and, and all that is is what, just that we're, in particip we're participating with our natural life. That's not such a... Um, and I believe the Spirit of God is after us to, 
to diminish that participation with our natural life and escalate and increase and grow in grace, grow in the participation with the Spirit of God. Um, so I just want to look at a couple things. Jesus really, from the standpoint of the Pharisees and all those people, the reason he was crucified was because he was blasphemous. And the reason they said he was blasphemous is because he called himself the Son of God. And he said, I and the Father are one. In, you can read it in John 10. Um, it's all over Matthew 26, Mark 14. So then they asked him, he said, are you the Christ, the Son of God? He says, I am. And that was it. That, that just pushed them right over the edge. Do we need to hear any more? Let him be crucified. He was accused of blasphemy. And blasphemy is only blasphemy if it's untrue. But your central spirit's point of difficulty really is on the basis of becoming a son. I, I hope we can, I hope we remind ourselves of that. The difficulty is on the basis because you have been called and signed up for becoming a son in his fullness and coming up to the fullness of what that is. So Jesus did not have regular responses to things that came out of his natural life. He, I mean, for the three and a half years that we see him. And when he was, he, when, I'm trying not to read all the verses. I may get to some in a minute. But in, in John 11, it gives us the story of when Lazarus was sick. Um, and he got word. And then it says, and he abode in the same place for two days. <clears throat> and um, that doesn't seem, someone in the crowd must have said, where is the love? But Jesus was on to something. He said, uh, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. You know what? how you get that? Do you know how you live in this life? You must be connected to heaven. Jesus was connected to the heavens. And so when he looked at something, he saw something that did not appear. It's like it says of Moses, he saw him who is invisible. Jesus found out he, heard, he was connected to the Spirit in such a way that he said, I, I'm, I'm safe to stay here for a couple more days because this death, this is not unto death. But then he says later, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus sleeps. We're going to go wake him. And the disciples, of course, did some funny things. He says, well, he does well if he sleeps. You know, he could use a little. We could all, couldn't we all use a little more rest? Right? I mean, and, uh, you know, we all say things like that. We say silly things. Um, I've always contended that the less we know, the more we talk. Um, but it pertains rather, the purpose of this is for the glory of God. And... Um, so then, you know the story, he comes back, and then you find in John 12, after Lazarus is raised, and I will turn to that. I mean, I looked at this chapter for the first time of, um, I mean, seeing it in such a way uh, that, you know, I saw some humor in it. Um, because of the, the uh, 
variety of characters that are introduced in this chapter. Because first you have Lazarus, which perhaps there was a difference in him. At least he may have been riding on the, the wave of being taken out of the grave. Um, where Lazarus, Lazarus was there in verse 1. And so, and they made supper, and there's Martha, and guess what she's doing? She's serving. Then Lazarus is one of them that sat at the table. And then Mary comes around, and she has a pound of ointment of spike art, very costly. This is, I'm just skipping around in John chapter 12. And she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. I mean, this is quite a scene. Um, I don't know if Martha was, I guess Martha was okay with it at this point because she was doing all the work. Mary is anointing Jesus' feet with this cost and she's wiping his feet with her hair. I mean, I've often thought about, I don't, like that's a hard image to, under, to get a hold of. Well, it would be. <laughs> um, but then, then in verse, I mean, it's a beautiful act that took place. And then along comes Judas Iscariot, and he weighs in, right? He says, this should have been sold for 300 pence. And then John weighs in, in verse 6. He didn't say this because he cared for the poor, I'll tell you that. You know, I mean, you get all this. I, I don't know, I thought this looked like a real life. I mean, can you, can you, you know, we, we just know this small little crowd fairly well, but can, can do you see the, the creative power of Almighty God to make so many different souls? Uh, don't, you, don't you love the far side where there's, there's a big hand, ostensibly it's God, and he's shaking out people onto the earth, and he has one that has an eye over here and some, you know, I mean, just really like, like this, you know. He said, oh, this ought to spice things up, you know. And somehow the guy captured the variety of, of personality, the variety of nervous system, the variety of, of the way you see things. And, and so you have all this here. And then Jesus explains what she's done, let her alone against the day of my burying, has she kept this? And I think, there he is again. He, he's understanding that in order to accomplish what he needed to accomplish, this should encourage you. You need to be anointed to lay your life down. You need the anointing of the Spirit of God or you will not do it. Don't, don't gear up to do it today or tomorrow. Alright, I'm going to do it. I'm doing it this time. You will not be geared up to lay down your life unless you are anointed. That means the Spirit of God has influence and you are seeking that out. I need that if I'm going to not run up and down the sideline of my analysis, right? I need that. And then it says, um, then I got to read something funny. And I don't know that it's so spiritual, but it's just such an, a level of idiocy right here. Because then the chief priests are weighed in in verse 10. And you know what they're talking about? They're consulting that they might put Lazarus to death. What kind of idiocy is that? Jesus just took him out of the grave, so I know what we're going to do. We're going to kill him again. 
we'll, we'll fix this. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, can you imagine if they did that and Jesus, just to get them, raised them again? Oh, my gosh. They really would have been in trouble. <coughs> and they were the chief priests. They weren't just any old priest. <coughs> um, and so it goes further on. And he, he comes riding on a, a donkey. It's, you know, the palm, palm branches. He comes riding on a donkey and all these things. And, and the disciples, it says in verse 16, they didn't understand what was going on. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. And you know what I, I think? They didn't get the humility that, was, that Jesus was, was entering into. You know what they didn't get? And I think Jesus got it. The reason he said to Lazarus, this is not unto death. This is that the Father might be glorified. Do you know what Jesus was saying? He's saying, I am going to the cross, but it is not unto death. He said before this, he said, you know, when, when they said, he said, Lazarus is asleep, we're going to go to wake him and all that. And, and then he explained to them, no, Lazarus is dead. There was a truth that Lazarus had expired. He stopped breathing. He was wrapped up. He was in a grave, right? But the whole process was not unto death, right? It was unto the glory of God. And we ought to keep that factored in because Jesus knew that also because of the influence of the Spirit that he was dying, he was, he was going to suffer, he was, he was going to lay his life down, but it was not unto death. It was for the glory of his Father and the Son was going to be glorified with the glory that the Father had because of where God was taking him. He, but that doesn't come because you just read it in the Bible. You must be touched in your life. I must be touched in my life. I must get up high enough to, to get a glimpse and maybe a touch by the Spirit to know actually what is going on. What is actually the Spirit speaking to this church? What actually does the Spirit want out of me? How do I conduct myself in this life, in this human form? What is the, the, what is the proper response? What's the proper perspective? I do not know it. Unless I'm participating with the Spirit of God. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> really, when we talk about in the grave, it's the whole point is change. The glory of God is, when they talk about that, it's, it's for change. It said you're changed in 2 Corinthians 3, right? 18, you're changed from glory to glory. There's a process. Uh, going on and um, I, I want to look at something in Revelation because I think this is this is uh, what's happening with every single one of us because God and I appreciated all the 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 seniors in their presentations uh, the other day and, and I particularly was moved um, with a couple things that Brooks said about change, and I think Brother Bill referenced them. Um, because God is changing you. This participation in the divine nature is a change. And this process of change that we're in, uh, I just want to look at it. It's in, uh, did I write it down? Yeah, I'm sorry. Revelation 10. 
And this is talking about John and He said in verse 8, and this is talking about the seventh angel sounding and the judgments that are going on. And, and the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went to the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter and it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my, my belly was bitter. And he said, you must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, and tongues, and, and, and kingdoms. Uh, previous to this, he says, uh, let's see if I can find it. Oh, it says, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, verse 7, when he should begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. And, and I thought, what is that? What is that? And <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, very common, he said, Paul says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. That is the mystery of God that's going on inside of you. That's why I say the wind of the Spirit is blowing as strong as it ever has. Whether you, there is external evidence or not, there's a wind of the Spirit at work in you to change you out of what you are into exactly what He is. That is the mystery of God. That is the great mystery uh, that you actually, you and me actually can be changed. Changed. And I like what Brooke said, you don't be afraid of change. And the reason we're, we're afraid, the reason we don't approach, the reason we don't participate, because we're afraid of the bitterness when it hits our belly. Because there is bitterness when it hits your belly. Because it's extracting you from your own soul life. It's extracting you from conducting yourself naturally and saying it's come up higher. There's another uh, anointing, another authority, there's another spirit, there is a, another power to conduct you along the way. Um, you know, when Jesus heard, well, I'll get to that in a second. I won't be too much longer. Um, because I think this is what's happened, and it's a good thing that it's happening, that those things that have been sweet in our mouth that we've talked about and talked about and talked about, and that's as far as they were, they're getting down into the belly. And we're, we realize there's a bitterness of that, that word being made flesh. There's a discomfort. But this process that God is doing is not unto death. Though that is a part of it. It is unto the glory of God the Father that He can take the likes of humans and birth them anew by the Spirit of God. And not just that, but then bring them up into the fullness of the stature of another nature. Where it's not the same things that come out. It's not all things continuing the same. There's a work 
that the Spirit of God has begun and is working on on the inside. And this is what the wind of the Spirit is all about. The work to change you and to change me. And um, so I just want to be practical for a second. Because you read through a lot of things. You can do your own study. But when Jesus perceived that he was taken and they were going to force him to be king. He departed into a mountain himself alone. He got out of there. You can juxtapose that with uh, Adoniah in 1 Kings 1. Adoniah woke up one morning and said, I will be king. And when Jesus saw this coming, what did he do? He went alone. To, you know what he did? He went to pray. He said, God, help me. Okay, Jeff, tomorrow you're going to be king. Jeff says, bring it on. <laughs> Jesus was on this mission. It says uh, in John 6, they were coming again. He departed into a mountain. Oh, I, read, I just read that. Then John 7, the end of the last verse, there was a division among the people because of him. John 8, 1, he went to the Mount of Olives. John 14, 23, he went up into a mountain to pray after he'd been with the multitudes. Uh, a great multitude followed him because they saw the miracles. Jesus went up into a mountain. Hebrews 5, 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears. Do you understand? You know what this is? It's a picture of Jesus participating in the way he could. You know what you and I need? That kind of participation with the Spirit of God. You know what I'm finding? That there are things that I have nagging burdens. Anybody else have nagging burdens? I don't always, I don't plan on them necessarily. You know, sometimes you wake up with them. Sometimes you're in the middle of the night with them. You wake up and you are. Can I just tell you, go find a mountain Go to your heavenly Father and say, Lord, I got these burdens. I'm sorry I do. I'm afraid of these things. These things that get me. I don't mean things that don't get you. We do really good with other people's problems sometimes. Oh, oh, they just need to get over that. Be concerned with the things that you find impossible to get over. Because those are there intentionally by God to draw you unto the only source of help. That's what Jesus did. He went and he found, he said, I need contact with your spirit. I don't know what he got. I don't know if he always got a word or he always got this or he always got that. I don't think he did. Because I sure don't. <clears throat> but I will tell you this. This might be a good study for you. Look up 
hears, hears us or heard me. Because I got all these scriptures that I'm not going to read. David says it all through the Psalms. I cried to the Lord. He heard me. I waited patiently, inclined. He heard my cry. I sought the Lord. He heard me. He delivered me from my fears. He didn't deliver me out of the circumstance, but he delivered me from being tyrannized by fear. The Lord heard the voice of my weeping. He heard my supplication. How about Jonah? Out of the belly of hell, I cried. And he heard me. Can I just tell you something? He hears you. When you cry out to him in sincerity, God, I, I have no other source. He hears you. And he doesn't always give you a lot of stuff, paragraphs. I don't know. I'm not the father. I'm not, you know. Bill reminds us. He, he wants to get us to get the thing straight about who's the clay and who's the potter. I'm not the potter. But I know that I have no power um, to stay the course. I have no power to to lay my life down effectively. I have no power for the love of God to gush forth out of me in all circumstances. Have I experienced those things? Yes. I'm not talking about experiences. I'm talking about change. Jesus just kept going to the Father. Here I am. They want to make me a king now. Here I am. There's the multitudes. You know... I, <clears throat> I am sometimes overwhelmed by my it intermittent relationship. Because I have done, you know, I, man, I've been at the convention and meetings and all that stuff, and now I'll see you in a couple days, Lord. I don't say that, because that would be craziness, right? Straight up. But somehow I think I need a break from what? I need a break into natural. So, um, there's all kinds of things that are great about prayer. I got to tell you, I, you know, this maybe sounds silly, but I'm, I'm talking more to God than I ever have. I've got no place else to go for the help that I need. You have no place else to go. You will not go down into the grave for the purpose of being raised. You will not go. There'll be a reason not to. You will not love your brother in the way that you should. What might come out is something else. And, and if it comes out, you can repent. You have an advocate. Get back on your feet. But you can't get back on your feet without participating with the Spirit of God. And I can't. God sometimes has me do things that I do not want to do. And sometimes we, as parents, we, we ask our children, would you like to do this? And, and at a, you know, there's a there are things, you know, 
that you ask them about. But in, but honestly, things that they should, they need to do, it's very bad to give them a question because then you can get an answer. And I find that God doesn't necessarily ask me. I know there's a, there's a voluntary, there's a willingness, but it's like the willingness I had with my father, my natural father. And I wouldn't say he was like a, a four-star father or anything. He, he loved me and I respected him, I loved him. But you know, <clears throat> I'm sitting at the kitchen table um, and I, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna brag. I had a great arm. I could throw a baseball so far, if you can even imagine. Now I can get it maybe to Ben or maybe Justin on a good day now, but I used to be able to really throw. And I would practice with apples. We had a small apple tree and I'd practice with apples because there was a giant target, um, one, two, three yards over, a big oval pool, 16 by 32. <laughs> and, and if, you know, if some of the people around me had some understanding, they'd know I was practicing for the major leagues. <laughs> and so I would go back and I'd chuck the apples and see if I could get them right in, right? And so we're sitting at the kitchen table and there's a neighbor over and, uh, and I was minding my own business, quiet, really well behaved. And, um, and, and the, the neighbor says, oh yeah, by the way, little Davy, I was watching him throw apples into Mr. Pitt's, his name was Pitt, Mr. Pitt's pool. I became very attentive. And my father says, he looks at me, were you doing that? I said, yeah, I was. He said, go get a grocery bag. And so I went and got a paper grocery bag. And he said, now walk down to Mr. Pitt's house with your bag and tell him you'll collect all the apples that you threw in the pool, the yard, all that. And you know, you know why I went? He didn't ask. Would you like to go? Because I knew the answer to that right away. And honestly, it was only um, like three doors down, you know, and probably 150 yards or whatever it was, 100 yards, I don't know. And uh, I went because he was my father. And I respected him. You can call it fear respect, but I went and I knocked on that. I mean, it seemed like it was an interminable walk, and I, I got to the door and I knock, and, uh, and I have my bag, like, I don't know what I looked like to this guy, but, and <laughs> it's, it's a wonder that I didn't have an accident, you know. Um, and he, I, I said, I came here to pick up the apples, I've been throwing them in your, towards your pool and in your yard, and, and he says, oh, that's all right, son, I cleaned them up. And I walked back, but you know, God has us do stuff we don't like. And it's okay. It's okay that he does. Because he's not out to just have us do things we don't like. He's out to change us completely. And <clears throat> so he orchestrates things. And I, I just want to read one last scripture and I'm going to sit down. Because I think this is an indication that there's change going on in your heart. 
It's in Habakkuk, verse 2. I mean, chapter 2. He says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall answer when I'm reproved. I think God's delivering us all from avoiding him. I know we love to sense the presence of God in a praise service. We love that feeling and all that. I just talking about on a daily basis, he's delivering us from the fear of encountering him because we know he may redirect us. I think what's growing in our hearts because of the wind of the Spirit is a desire to have that kind of contact. Lord, what do you want to say to me today? I'm here. That's all I can give you. I am here. What do you want to say to me today? And Lord, help me in my answer when you redirect the course. Amen. thinking this place would change overnight <laughs> in, in one aspect if we really believe that God meant it when he said see no man after the flesh you wouldn't stop discerning but if you knew it was a command you would uh, you would look at everybody differently no matter what they uh, what they were no matter what was going on but you can't do that it wouldn't just happen because you decide you'd have to as David said you'd have to get on your face and say God it's pretty obvious I've been here a few years and I haven't done that but I want to see everyone I look at I mean I've seen little kids that are so obnoxious uh, you know and anybody that doesn't like little children has got a problem, and I was one. Not, I, mean, I don't see many, you know, and when those same ones grow up, wow, you need help. And, I mean, trust, it's a command. Look at it as if you and God are, are not together when you come around and judge what's going on. Doesn't mean you can't discern when somebody flops or when somebody makes a mistake. You can. Uh, I wrote, this is what I've been preaching and I think it has to do with this thing of fear. I believe we, and, and you don't have to be in that if I'm you know, kind of rolling a bowling ball down your alley and it is, that's not you. But I believe that the great fear is not, not dying, you know, you know, unless you're right on the edge or on the cusp of it. I think it's an encounter when somebody questions your opinion. You don't want to die to your opinion. I don't want to die to my desires. I don't want to die 
but I will push away and not indulge myself. That's the haunting and continuing fear. And, and you can't do that either, but you know you must. And that's where the tension, and that's where we get sick. But if we say, God, I can't do it, I don't want to do it, but you want me to, and I want to want what you want. And David said this, and I'll close with it. I mean, we'll be finished here. I didn't say enough to close. But um, it's the anointing that changes you. If you, if you, well, I'll give you a little example. And you've heard me say this, so it's, it's not me. But uh, when I read uh, Psalm 119, and, and I've said this many times, the first time I read it, it, it was just like, who are you kidding, David? 119.20. My soul breaks. This is just about my attitude. My soul breaks for the longing that it has for your judgment all the time. I said, who? There is nobody on the earth that, who has emotions and who has will. Uh, and, and he thinks, is going to say, I'm just broken up. I, I'm, it's awful. I want to know what you think, God. And that's the cry that David was giving us tonight. Because if you don't care what God thinks, <laughs> you're, not, you're not really haunted, and the Holy Spirit is not in you. You're in the flesh. He may be there, but you avoid it, and, and we have. And I'm not, this isn't a testimony that I'm running around broken all the time for it, and that I've, okay, I've done that hurdle. What it is, is that I know that my mocking when I first saw it and my reaction was, I don't want to change. But it, was, it came from hell. It didn't come from the Spirit of God. It came from Adam. It came from the immature Christ or whatever, however you want to put it. But let me say this. Now I know I want that. I want it. And if I want it bad enough, God will give it to me. If there's anything out there that you want with that kind of seriousness that you'll talk to him every day about it and say, I want it, you'll get it. And I, I've seen pieces of it. You know, I'll walk out of a room and have a thought on something and I say, God, please, I know you were thinking. Because the Spirit of God is in you. That's the thing. I'm going to read this. It's been a good night. And we'll, uh, we'll close with this one. Because you can't go forward. You can't hold anybody. And you certainly can't uh, take yourself. One of the things that helps us is we know that Jesus tasted death for all men. And he tasted the death of rebuke, all kinds of mockings, Laughter, ridicule, and rebuke. And the Christ in you can do it. You can. And some of you will sooner than you know. In 1 John he said this, No man seen God at any time. 
If we love one another, God dwells in us. God, I don't have the love to love everybody. And I, I was thinking, I, I walked by here and I saw all those pictures that Diana cut out and she's got, you know, the trunks of pictures of you. I don't know, you know, she must think a lot of you. Uh, or at least she wants to have something to put on. I don't want those things taken down. And I go by there and I look at your face and I think, I'm going to be with these people forever. You know? And, and some of them I wish you'd redo because it's not your best you. you know? <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it belongs on a target, you know, shoot or something. But, but I know when I see y'all, I think, my God, but what you have done to help us love one another, and we're still, you know, limping along in places. No man has seen God in If we love one another, God lives in you. I mean, think about that. That you can have him in your house, him in your being. You'll, you can't be the same when he's there. You know that already. Because you had him. You've had the fullness of the, of the presence of God. And you haven't liked you when, when you when you wrestled out of that. But listen to this. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. That's the anointing of God. Bow your heads. Father, thank you. Thank you that... Uh, <laughs> You are changing us. And we want it, and we resist it. Destroy that fear of, of dying to this selfish uh, life that we've known, that we might be enveloped with your anointing, that we can serve you all the days of our life. For Jesus' sake, amen.